This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too. So they're ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. The most famous goal of Chris Billy's life. Is this the moment for Lee Fowler? It is. Take your place in Division 2. Huddersfield. Oi. Thank you. Steve Simonson's boots now. He's missed. Steve Simonson clears the frame of the goal and collapses in a heap of tears. Huddersfield Town are promoted. Stephen Schindler has a chance to write his name in Huddersfield Town legend. And he takes that chance! Guten Tag and willkommen to the Andy Takes That Chance podcast, where Gagan Pressing is back at Huddersfield Town. One man who is not back, though, is Mark Fotheringham. Fothers took to the Scottish sun this weekend and bemoaned despite having a stellar CV that he wasn't taken seriously in Scotland and then went on to say that his record stood up next to Neil Warnock's last season. Andre Brightonwright arrived for the game on Saturday and very much got the badge in as town fans look forward to what the new man can bring. And now the question is, what can these men bring? Joining me, Matt Shaw, is Johnny Gillespie and Ian Kilroy to look back over the last week in HD1. How are we doing, chaps? Thank you. Yeah, not not bad. Looking forward to what's to come. Splendid. Right. So, as always, this episode is sponsored by Magic Rock Brewing. Uh, get over to www.magicrockbrewing.com. Use our code of AHTTC10, and you will get ten percent off all your online orders. Uh, also, get there for match day as well. Have a pint with uh, one of the lads, maybe Brady or Cosy or something. We'll we'll all be milling around around there. Right. Okay. So let's. We've got two games this week to uh, to cover. Huddersfield. We'll start with the most recent, which uh, is still hurts. Huddersfield Town one, Hull City two. Uh, so Town, the start of this game really, boys looked. Town were really leggy work the entire straight away uh, from kickoff in this game. The whole goal came after a little bit of pressure from them, but it was such a poor early goal to concede, wasn't it? It's 
the corner's not really dealt with by Matos where he puts it up in the air. Could Nichols have come and punched it? Maybe, maybe not. Jones then sort of bullies Matos and it's a really clever header from him back to Greaves who who hooks it in and would Nichols be disappointed with that? I'd imagine the manager would have been disappointed with a start killer. Yeah, I think I think you've got to hope for um, Nichols to do a bit better, but it was a similar kind of shot than, than last week. What were with it, was it what, Rothwell, where it was for Southampton when he's smashed it in from the corner. Um, but the really, to me, it was a simple one we could have got rid of. Um, Pearson, for some reason, doesn't jump for the header. Him and Hoggy are kind of are both stood there, and it's just all a bit of a mess. And, and generally, we've been we've been pretty good from set pieces defending them anyway. And all of a sudden, we just looked. It, I think we looked tired. We looked the effort wasn't quite there, and it, I think it just set kind of the tone for that first half. It just felt like Pearson doesn't make mistakes like that, and, and he just he just didn't go to to meet the meet the header where normally he'd clear everybody out and just get rid of it. But like you say, Matos had a bit of an opportunity to get rid of it first time. He didn't. Pearson and Hogg both kind of made a bit of a mess of it. And again, at championship level, if you if you make mistakes like that, you 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 pay for it and pay for it. We did really early doors. And again, after such a busy busy week, it, it's just not the start you want at home. It really isn't the start because it's, it takes then a lot of effort to get back into the game. And we were looking that we were lacking it already. Tough one, wasn't it, Johnny, to, to swallow? Because we've we've been really at it, haven't we? Um, come out of the traps uh, blazing, so to speak. And um, I'm sure that we'll talk about the Middlesbrough game a little. Uh, sorry, the Sunderland game. Shouldn't really confuse the two. I'll anger some of their fans. Um, but, we, you know, that sort of was a real uh, energetic performance against them. And we looked really sort of flat the last 20 minutes against them because we'd run out of energy. And I think it sort of spilled over, didn't it, into the start of this game where we just kind of came out a little bit flat. But the first half after that really didn't offer much, did we? Uh, I mean, us and Hull didn't really do too much. Um, there's a couple of players maybe having an off day. Uh, Pearson and Hogg in particular, as Killers mentioned, sort of struggled in that first half. And Matty Pearson's not known for his passing, let's be honest, but his passing accuracy in the first half was like 44.5%. And that probably wasn't great for a defender because usually the defenders sort of knock it between each other, don't they? And get the stats up to sort of, you know, above 80%. But, you know, in fairness to Matty Pearson, his man never really got past him. Um, Zarari, who was uh, at Burnley last year, but, uh, and I thought Brody Spencer did a quite, quite a good job on Philogene on the other side in that first half as well. I mean, he, he kicked him up in the air at one point, didn't he? Just to, exert some dominance on him. You know, I'm surprised he didn't pee on him afterwards. It was a proper, you know, sort of young alpha moment, wasn't it? Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, the goal was disappointing, wasn't it? But the, the rest of the half, just a bit flat, Johnny. Yeah, it was a bit flat. And I think I, I always get a little bit worried when we have a 24 hours less to prepare for a game. I don't I've always looked at it. And I was kind of looking, when we a Tuesday, Wednesday, I always look and see we played on the Saturday whether they play on the Tuesday and the Wednesday. And if they've got that little bit of time, I always seem to think it's, I don't know, I get a bit annoyed about it. But then, to be professionals, athletes, they might not think that, maybe they do. I know Worthington did mention it in his press conference, so maybe he kind of thinks it's a little bit the same as me. The other thing I'd add, add into that is obviously we have been playing far more aggressive, far more pressing than we have, obviously, under more. Um, it's the first time we've. we've well, it's, it's the first time I've seen the Worthington we've come with three games a week, but really it isn't. But also the fact that we've not had that much of a tenure to kind of even say that. But you can see that just that change in play, asking to do a little bit more, asking to, to put a bit more energy in, 
and they have put energy in the last few games. I think it, in that first half, it just looked like a team that were tired um, mentally and, and physically. And I think that's where you can go to the likes to Matty Pearson. Yeah, I think Stephen Chicken even said in his conclusion or his match ratings that if Pearson's having an off day, it's a worry because like Killer said, that he doesn't really have an off days. He's kind of like a steady seven, really week in, week out. Um, and, and, and he did look a bit, as other players did, a little bit jaded. Um, I think also the, in that scenario, one of the worst things you can do against a team like Hull is probably concede another goal just because they're so comfortable in, in holding the ball and passing it around. They've also clearly one of those teams that like to waste time and go down and gamemanship and wind players up, which exerts even more, which town exerts even more energy, you get annoyed, you get frustrated, you, you know what I mean, as well, which they did a lot in that first half, which was I found absolutely infuriating, whether we'll come on to that or not, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it just wasn't the ideal day at the office, really. A few things did quite work out. Um, the other thing I've maybe looked to touch on as well is possibly, I don't know, the, the, the midfield that was was picked might not have been ideal as well which started to cause problems I think that we, we could have been a bit braver we, we could have been a bit more progressive in, in the midfield which might have helped um, combat that um, as well which I know will come on to the second half which might that might feature more but yeah it wasn't really ideal it was a bit nothing really in it I said something at half time other than like say a little bit of a mistake and a little bit of luck with the ball falls to their I mean, Force of Greaves, and it's, it's an all right shot. Nichols might want it again to maybe do better. Um, I thought that might be a little bit harsh. But other than that, there was, there was nothing in it. And we kind of find ourselves saying a few times that we almost kind of caveat the fact, well, Hull, do you know what I mean? Sat seventh or eighth in the league, do you know what I mean? Out of the play, I think, on goal difference. And it's been a very even half, but ultimate stage in the season, we can't continue saying that. We, we, we actually need to be getting points out of these games. But that said, I think. I don't know if, if the game would have come after a full week, I would have fancied just to get something out of there. I didn't think Hull were all that, in all honesty. Killer, Johnny's mentioned it there, but the, the time wasting from Hull was was pretty bad, wasn't it? I mean, the, the feigning of injury, the going down. I mean, I think when you're when you're in the away end, you, you look at that as the perfect away performance, don't you? Sort of wind up the crowd, wind the, get a goal up, wind the clock down, slow the game down. I mean, the goalkeeper should have been booked two or three times. I mean, they were doing it from the 20th minute, weren't they? Wasting time from goal kicks. And the referee never got to grips with with any of the, the time wasting. And it was um, seven minutes added on. I've never seen seven minutes added on for all of it was from time wasting at the, you know, during the first half. I mean, you could say the referee never got to grips with it, you know, in terms of warning, but at least she, you know, stopped the clock, if you like, even though we never did anything with it. But... It's so frustrating, especially when. It, but it's perfect, isn't it, Killer? If you're if you're playing a team that press and harass and harass, you know, and try and play at 100 miles an hour, <coughs> slowing the game down and and really getting under their skin and getting under the crowd skin is just the perfect sort of way to play it, isn't it? To, to be credit, you know, we sort of not demonising Hull if you like. They they've come and played a you know a particular brand of football. They're good on the ball but they know how to manage a game as well. And they'd sort of managed us that first half just by pissing us off, really, didn't they? Yeah, if we did that away from home, we're all celebrating it, thinking it's exactly the right thing to do. And maybe at Southampton, there were elements in that game where I thought we should have done it more than we did. Instead, we kept going full speed and and ultimately paid the price for it. I thought Hull were fantastic. Not in the the way that they played. It wasn't like they were going to batter us 3-4-0, but you could see, Matt, for the first time in John Worthington's kind of spell, a team came to play us with a game plan to beat us. And now we've played, who we had before, the Sheffield Wednesday, they just had to win. And once we got ourselves in front, they couldn't chase the game back. Southampton played their own way. 
Then we have Sunderland, um, again, we're going to get onto in a bit, midweek. We kind of just played their own way. And first first time we played them this season under Darren Moore, we looked too good for them. I don't know why, we just, we're just a team that seems to do well against them and the way they want to play. But Hull, to me, they kind of attacked in a way that we normally attack. And they got the ball at the back, they were passing it around quite nicely. We don't do that. But they persisted with it. Even when we were pressing high and they, they, they were a little bit sloppy a couple of times, but they stayed at it. But then they transitioned really quickly to the front to the final third. There wasn't too much in the midfield. Um, when they went forward, Morton and Slater kind of held back a little bit so they could let Philogene and Zarari um, get forward. And I thought they put in a perfect away performance, as you said, Matt. And, and whilst the, that first half was tight, I just felt like they were controlling the moments, the flow of the game. It didn't feel like we were in it. Oh yeah, I think that extra day rest, um, like Johnny said, I think that's really, really important in it. But this is what happens in championship level football, at professional football. After you've you've shown your hand a little bit and you play the system you want to play, teams start breaking you down and they try and find your weaknesses. I think that's why Pearson had a bit of a bad day. He's not a, he's not a right back, but he can do a job there. And in moments it works. The problem is he's got distinct weaknesses as a fullback because he's not fast enough. And I think he were made to pay to pay for it um, in the game against Hull. But it's just that they came to beat us and they came and played in a way that we couldn't break them down. And again, they weren't. it wasn't a game where we could we could break fast in that first half. And all of a sudden, we didn't look like we were going to score a goal again. It looked like we couldn't create chances again. And that's because Hull gave us the respect that I think we've not really, no one else has really given us recently under Worthy. And we just didn't have the answers for it. I think the, the, the selection of the midfield, Johnny O coming back in, um, to me, didn't work. I thought it was uh, the wrong thing to do, especially considering how well Kasumu was has been playing and and how important I feel he is when he gets the ball, turns and drives it forward 10, 15 yards just to create space for everybody else. Johnny Ogg's great in certain situations, but he doesn't offer that. And I felt it just was quite pedestrian in that first half because of it. They set up in a way that they were, say, asking us to try and find a way to break him down. We couldn't. And 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 we didn't have the players in the midfield. I thought, could, I thought Rodoni in the first half was quite poor. I know it got better in the second half, but they were just people all over the pitch losing their one-on-one battles. And now that's not happened the last couple of games for town. Normally we've kind of saw Thomas wins every time, yes. But apart from that, it just felt like we didn't have the flow of the game and, and the whole did. And it's, 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 just, it's just new for us to feel that way after, after a few games where we've had it. Mm, I've got some similar comments that I've I made, <laughs> but mostly in the second half. I thought second half town played quite well. Um, but they play quite well without being massively threatening at the same time. Um, Sauber Thomas was great, I thought, in that second half. I prefer, I'll be honest, I prefer him down the right-hand side because I think his, his delivery suffers, or the quality of his delivery suffers if he's on the left. Um, but, you know, he, he kind of came back and cut inside and hit those in-swingers, didn't he? Or the, that sort of arcing ball to the far post, which went out of play a couple of times. is much better for me sort of down the right. But I could understand why... They they played the way they did. They had Ryan Giles, didn't they, on the left back, and they had Radoni uh, tracking as well, like they did with Jack Clark during the week, and it, and it worked during the week with what we did. And on the, the you know the, um, the other side, you know, of Sauber was you know on on the right back who, who didn't get forward as much, but he had the beating of him as well. Um, I think he would have had the beating of the other guy, but I think Philogene was a worry as well. With so you know because of his pace, you know, Brody Spencer did a good job, but Sauber's quick as well. So you know that's. That's really sort of, I think, why they've played it that way. But um, Sauber, four dribbles past his man, which I thought was quite good. Unfortunately, I think Karoma wasn't really as effective in this game as he, as he has been in previous week. And I think the reason for that is 
the two centre backs at Hull, I thought they put, both played really well. Uh, Jacob Greaves is is obviously very highly rated, uh, and he had a very good game. Uh, Alfie Jones also had a really good game. You know that that header that Alfie Jones did for uh, the goal, I thought was really clever. You know that the header back to Greaves on the first goal, I thought that was a really smart uh, piece of football, to be honest. Uh, but they they played really well, and they just kept us at arm's length, uh, and they managed to let us shoot where they didn't think it was threatening uh, and no chances really came in an area where we could hurt them. So I think, again, going back to Hull's game management, I think they managed that quite well. But I thought we were the better side, if you like, in the second half. I didn't really think Hull offered anything at all, really. But they were winning, so I guess they didn't really have to. Um, But apart from Philogene, Philogene hit the post, didn't he? Uh, Which... I have no idea how that went out for a goal kick on the other side after it hits the post. The spin on it must have been incredible. Sauber Thomas hit the post for us uh, from a deflection as well. And it wasn't really until Bergzog came on that we started to open them a little bit. And Bergzog's a completely different threat to Karoma, isn't he? Because he's got height and he's got the strength, you know, that sort of, that pace. And Bergzog's so quick with the ball, isn't he? You know, running with the ball. He's, he's you know, no one knows what he's going to do. And, he almost cost us during the week against Sunderland, didn't he? But um, it, it, I, I love watching Bergsaw just because he's so random and so so different. And he he kind of opened the game up. And when we got that goal from Redoni, I just thought it was deserved. And, and had the final whistle gone then, everyone goes home and goes, you know what, it's a decent game. We weren't at it first half, but we've come back, got a point, and we've emptied the tank in the second half and really, really done all we can to get back in the game and, and get something. And I think that would have been the perfect ending. I think Hull deserved the point. I think we deserved the point. And then that's it. Um, but a massive kick in the bollocks just <laughs> just after that, which is the second one they've given us this week. Hull, the Rochambeau champions of the championship in 22, 20, uh, sorry, 23, 24. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I didn't really think it was a free kick, to be honest. I haven't seen it back, but uh, in um, in time, I thought the referee at the end made two really poor decisions with the free kicks that, that were given. Um, I think the one on the Rodoni, which uh, the one that she gave against Rodoni was just nonsense. Um, but, I mean, they put the ball in the box and it's again the second phase of a, a, a set piece, isn't it? And it's come out and we've looked a little bit at disarray in terms of marking and Jack Rodoni's on Greaves, the, the danger man, and that just seemed a little bit it just seemed like the wrong man for the wrong job. You know, Jack Redone is all right in the air, isn't he? But Jacob Greaves is one of the best uh, headers of the ball in the league. You know, he's, he's an absolute threat from set pieces. Uh, you want your, you know, you want um, either Balker or, or Tom Lees really, don't you, with him at that point. But, you know, and, and that's, and, and and we got the kick in the balls and it's um, really, and it was really deflating because I think what was really, it, it, when that happened, at their place under Darren Moore, you just sort of sat there and you thought, do you know what? They've scored in the 95th minute. It was a rag-ass goal again. And you just thought, do you know what? We probably deserve that. We probably deserve to lose that game because we just sat back and got deeper and deeper and Hull came at us. This one, I don't think Hull deserved it, but they came out and they managed the game well in large parts. And then they put a good ball in the box and Greaves puts a good header in the net and you kind of just leave him thinking... They were all right, Hull, actually, but God damn it, killer. I just like you say, when you work so hard to get back into it, there was a good, the final 30 minutes, we chucked everything out, didn't we? We were really trying to get back in that game. And then 
Radoni's shot, it's, it's a bit of a lucky goal in that it goes through like four guys to, to go in the back of the net. And at that point, you're thinking, oh, do you know what? It's with us. The football gods are with us. We're going to take a point here. I disagree a little bit, Matt. I thought, again, I thought Hull probably deserved to win it. I know he's had to win away games. I get it. And I just thought some of the players, like Philogene and Cavallo, like they, they should, I don't even know why they're in the championship, to be honest. They shouldn't be in this division. They are class on the ball. You can see they're ready to take that next step up, can't you? And it's quite surprising that, that they're here. And, well, to be honest, Hull's entire use of the loan market is wonderful, isn't it, this year? I think they've got Ryan Giles in from Luton. They've got like five of the starters yesterday uh, were, were loan, loan guys, whereas we've got Tom, Edward, Tom Edwards. And, okay, Bergsorg should have probably started for me yesterday. That was a, another point there, Matos, I thought. Matos was decent. And Matos, Matos, yeah, but he, he, looked, he looked tired a bit yesterday, I thought. I feel like there was a distinct um, play by Hull yesterday to keep the ball away from Matos. So when they were transitioning, if you look, they kind of kept it away from Matos as much as they could because they know he flies in. He's the best guy we've got at it. And they tried to target where Johnny Ogg was because Matos is just so quick at stopping it in the passing lanes. Hull stayed away from it and I thought it was quite smart as well. But I think Bergsorg quickly, if he would have started yesterday, it'd been another different game. I feel his pace is what gives our front three that extra dimension. I love Karoma. I think he's great, but he has to work very hard as a striker. He throws his body into everything. He presses hard. And three games in a week again for him, it's just it's just a tough ask. And I thought as soon as we as, as Delano came on, that's really when we kind of stepped it up. But what like you say, when you get back to one all with, with, what, two minutes to go, two and a half minutes to go, you just think, you're going to hold on here, you're at home. I think Sauber Thomas runs to get the ball out of the net. So, so we should probably point that out in that we're trying to push for the win. But then, like I you mean, say, the free, kick, the free kick gets given away because Kasumu goes flying in, doesn't he, to win the yeah. ball back to try and get forward. Yeah, and you can. I'm all can't for the gamble. Win. I'm all for yeah, that yeah. gamble. But yeah, like you say, Matt, yeah. the, the marking, the marking from that second phase when from the free kick is horrific. It's awful. If you actually look back, Pearson and I think, is it Pearson and I don't know if they were on that. Yeah, Pearson and Lee's at that point. They're just not following the men. There's just they've met these whole guys all over the place. Radone is his man at the end that that puts it in uh, Greaves. But there's there's just so many bodies in the box from Hull and Town guys. Again, to me, it's because they're tired, Matt. You've worked so hard to get back into the game. You've done it. You've had three games in a week. You think you're there, and you just switch off for that second. The ball in's fantastic, by the way. It's a, it's an amazing cross because if a Town player gets on the end of it, there's a chance of an own goal. Tom Lee's probably he's got quite a bit of form for it. He did it again, didn't he? Um, yeah. but it's just one of those crosses you put it in and if anyone gets anything on it it's in it's just it's just like I say that sucker punch and it's not the way you want John Worthington's kind of little tenure to end with us really because he deserved better than that we kind of deserved well we could have we should we've earned the point really for me yesterday and then we've just kind of thrown it away by switching off and I understand why we've done it because it's been a tough week but it's not nice leaving the ground after it is it it just kind of it's like you say I'm saying with Johnny I'd rather lose 1-0 and go right we tried it we missed out it didn't work but at least we had a go the only thing I did think was really good about yesterday was even though we've lost, it felt like a proper championship game where we've not been outclassed. And now we've had we've had many, many games where it feels like we're miles away from the team that beats us. Whereas it felt like Hull scored early. They put a good away performance in. We did what we could to get back into it. We got back into it and threw it away at the end, yeah. But it felt like we're at that level. They've got players to me that are better than our individuals by Sauber. But it was just nice to, to see a game where we're competitive and we're not scared of losing. And it's just it's just nice to see it. I feel like on another day we walk away with a one-all draw and, and everyone's happy enough with it. It's just a shame and just a bit of a sour taste in the mouth that they've just managed to nick it in that last moment with a switching off. Go on, Johnny, you round up that, that second half as well from your perspective. Yeah, I, I will do. And I'll, I'll kind of might segue a little bit into the next agenda point. I think the, the key for me in the second half was, uh, we've touched on it before, 
um, to selection, certainly in the midfield. But for me, I was quite surprised um, when we watched him play as well at half-time. There wasn't anyone kind of looking to make a, make a change. Right? The first half was so pedestrian. And I think there was, I, don't, I didn't think in that game we necessarily needed Hogg and Matos both on the pitch, given where we were. So, I mean, we knew we were 1-0 down. We knew we had plenty of time to try and change it round or kind of take a bit more emphasis on the game. The fact we went one down, they weren't looking to sit, they didn't necessarily come at us, they weren't necessarily looking to sit massively, but we had no impetus to try and like change it from attacking perspective. I just felt that it, it, it seemed obvious that something needed to change. Um, and, and for me, it was kind of removing Hoggy out of that team. But when the subs kind of came up, um, and it was Wiles and Matos that got pulled. Again, I think doing Matos was slightly removed from the game. Killer's point, I think, is absolutely bang on on that. Um, and I don't know from fitness perspective, do you know, he might, he might have had a little bit less than his legs, I'm not sure. But I think Hoggy hadn't had a great first half. Um, and I think in that game, he, he, he probably should have been pulled earlier. I'm also not too sure where um, Bojan is in regards to where he is near the first team. But ultimately, again, I think if you're trying to keep... I know Wiles wasn't necessarily amazing, but we, he has he has done okay in the kind of the previous games. So I think he's trying to win that game. Bring Kasuma one, completely agree with that. Like, he brings a bit more impetus. You don't need Hog Kasuma both on the pitch when you kind of one 0 down in the game. You're looking to kind of change it around. Bergsall was massive, absolutely, but I still feel that we lack we lack that central focal focal point. And we've got two strikers on the bench. One I'd probably got to start over the or play sooner or bring on the pitch sooner than the other. I mean, it looks to make that change to the 76th minute when we eventually removed Hogg. Now, I don't know whether Worthington wanted to do that, but a bit of a block thinking, given, I don't know, a little bit of imposter syndrome where he is in his kind of first-team managerial experience, which is kind of like game number four, where he's also talking to take on, I mean, a 10-year, 11-year club legend. He's sat on the pitch thinking, well, can I take him at half-time? Can I take him at 60? Is he then brave to take him at 76? Is a little bit of that playing into there, which is fair enough. Understand that. I mean, Brighton right, they might have made a different decision. Now he's actually given the manager position. But I do think that second half, we didn't give ourselves the best opportunity we could have done based on the players that we had to actually use. Um, and ultimately, I've, I've said about Diara there, and he did get the assist from Rodoni, but um, which he might turn around and say is, is a reasonable argument why he should have played. But I do think there was things that we could have done, things that we could have changed to kind of give ourselves a better shot in that second half and I just was sat on the side frustrated um, that they weren't done really to be honest Yeah I didn't really get the Diara sub I'll be honest Diara's never really come off the bench and, and changed a game he's one of those who where he starts and he's better when he starts than, than he is when he comes off the bench and he's never really turned a game but Danny Ward as well I mean when you're putting crosses in the box um Danny Ward's not bad in the air, to be fair. He's, he's all right, isn't he? He's, he's quite deceptively quite good in the air. But Bojan Radulovic is, is, you know, from what we're led to believe, is is decent, you know, at, at scoring with his head. Um, so when the crosses were coming in, I was sat there thinking maybe he'll bring Bojan on and, you know, uh, put Bergzog, you know, sort of wide wide right or wide left and sober, you know, and then you've got your three, pl- three sort of three-pronged attack there. But... I mean, I understand why he put Ward on because Ward is good at the press and that we're trying to play on the front foot and, and you know, and sort of shut the opposition down and Ward, Ward is quite good at that. I mean, he's not fit at the minute. You can tell he's not match fit. So, you know, he, he wasn't as good as that as what it is. But, you know, I can't really knock John Worthington because he's done a really good job, you know, in, in a short space of time. So it's it's just one of those, isn't it? Um, whereby if, if Diara comes on and, he gets that assist and Rodoni, you know, he gets the assist and Rodoni scores and it ends one all. We probably sat there, sat here going, do you know what? 
great subworthy, you know what I mean? He got the assist. So it's just, you know, it's just the way it is, isn't it? But um, what did you think, guys? I, I mean, I'm sort of giving him a pass, to be honest. Um, tried something, didn't work. At least he tried something. That's where that's where I am with that. Nah, I'm I'm with Johnny a little bit. I, I I expect I know it's only been four games, and and he's very inexperienced, Worthington. Of course he is, but I I also thought the substitutions weren't on on point against Hull, and I feel that the same thing happened against Southampton. We spoke about in-game management there. Um, I thought it was quite lacking, and we didn't adjust when we were back to three-two. But you could tell we were tired. Um, I, I just. We spoke about, Matt, you and I, a week ago, about giving Worthington these two games and then kind of, we didn't know uh, Brighton Wright was coming in at that point, of course, and we kind of make a, ju- a judgment then on whether he could be the guy to lead us to the end of the season. And and now for me, just seeing the, the lack of experience, probably, in, in being able to change games at the end of, end of games, and maybe it is like Johnny said, that it's Johnny Ogg, so you kind of... You're a new. You're only a caretaker manager. You've got to be in the in there with them next week when you're not manager anymore, and, and you keep people happy or whatever. Maybe maybe that's coming to it a little bit. But to me, just seeing the the lack of adjustments that I think really could have helped us in regards to substitutions, as kind of I'm stepping back stepping back a little bit and thinking he would have been the right guy to see us to the end of the season. And now if we're on both these games, it's a different thing. But um, I just feel like you can see he's pretty raw still as a coach. And he didn't make those adjustments. But quickly on Bojan Radulovic, if that's not a game for him to come on and, and show what he can do, I don't know what a game is. Because normally we're playing counter-attacking football and fast football and, and breaking away quick and trying to find Bergzog over the last man and just one-on-one it kind of thing. Whereas against Hull, in, in that final 30 minutes, we're pressed right up the field. You're looking for nice intricate footworks to break break them down. And that to me is what Radulovic offers and, and on everything I've seen on YouTube and stuff. That's kind of his game. But Wevenham thought he wasn't the the right thing for him, which I found quite surprising. And again, I'd have started Delano Bergzog, but then unfortunately, I think he got <coughs> injured as well at the end of the game. I think he was he was hobbling around for the last five to ten minutes um, from a wacky tuck. So I think that's going to be a bit of an issue going into next week. But I just I just thought the substitutions were were uh, like you say confusing. And if we get a one one draw, Matt, you're right. We're probably saying, well, he got it bang on. Don't matter. But I just I just think. He just shows that he's not he's not got that experience just yet, and um, we're going into a new era, of course, from from Monday, and um, it's, it's not so much of a concern anymore. But he did a fantastic job with the time he was here. Just to round out on the Diara point, I can't just kind of say I don't think he should have been brought on, and he got the assist. There's a lot of things I think Diara needs to work on his game, but really, assist it is a good little bit of a run, but he does play a, a two yard pass to Rodoni, mm. and then there's a hell of a lot happens before it goes in the back of the net. So I won't be like shouting about my assist too much, but. <laughs> He did get the assist, okay. so as the stats show, he, he yeah. So, but yeah, could understand the point on that. One. Yeah, all, all counts. Yeah, I'd, I'd have had Riddle be come for twenty minutes towards the end because of the balls were coming into the box. But you know, it's what it is. Uh, right, I think what we'll do is we will take a short break and uh, we'll be back momentarily. You can listen to me and Cosy try and flog you NordVPN. Cosy, what what's your favourite away day? Matt, it's got to be the city ground at Nottingham. Just old school stadium, you're right near the pitch, great atmosphere. But there's nothing like playing at home. Same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You win, order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. 
Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club. Because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Okay, right, boys. Let's. Oh, there's a second game that we've got to get through, and we can be a bit happier about this one, I reckon. Uh, Town won Sunderland nil. Uh, really good performance, I thought this, um, especially for the first 65 minutes. Um, really high octane, pulsating. Any buzzwords you want to throw at this, I I really enjoyed it. Valentine's Day, much better to spend it with my mate Tom uh, than with the missus. The missus actually, she was going to come and then she bottled it last minute, said it was too cold. Um, but there we go. Um. My main worry when I saw the team selection was Matty Pearson versus Jack Clark. I was thinking, oh God, Jack Clark's quick, you know what I mean, and skillful. Matty Pearson is uh, not the quickest, um, but Matty Pearson absolutely murdered Jack Clark. I thought it was it was magnificent for every. You know, we've kind of said he didn't play very well against Hull, but for how he didn't play that well against Hull, Matty Pearson was awesome against Sunderland. He was absolutely <laughs> unreal, wasn't he? He absolutely smashed smashed Jack Clark into next week and. He was ably supported by Jack Ridoni tracking back as well to double up on him when when needed as well at times. Um, really good, really good performance um, from him. Um, Joe, uh, Brody, I almost, I almost called him Brady Spencer. Brady would be happy with that. Uh, Brody Spencer as well on the other side was was top class as well. At, you know the fullbacks, and and to be honest, Brody's not really a left back, and Matty Pearson's not really a right back, so they're they're kind of a little bit. Square pegs out the round, almost square pegs round holes, aren't they? But they both did really well, and and Balker I thought was was excellent as well in in the middle of defence. He was really excellent on the cover, um, playing the ball out from the back, and it, it was it was decent against um, Hull as well for me. Uh, but let let's look at the midfield as well. The midfield was really where it all came from for me, Killer, and and you touched on it earlier with in the whole game. It was Matos and Kasumu in midfield, and the energy that they brought to the midfield just absolutely strangled Sunderland, really, and and you know and, and made sure that they didn't have any space whatsoever in midfield, and it just allowed us to get on top of the game, the game, and we drove forward really well, you know, from from midfield. Both of them do it really well. Matos and Kasuma just carry that ball a little bit. Radoni carries the ball quite well, and Ben Wiles uh, as well. You know, the, it, it was just a good a good performance, wasn't it? And and you sat there, and it was just enjoyable. And even the free kick, the free kick was something different as well that we'd not seen before, wasn't it? it it's just you know the little work free kick. Radoni shoots, and the keeper pushes it into an area whereby he probably shouldn't and Matty Pearson just bundles it in with his thigh, doesn't he? And it's quite quite a nice quite a nice Valentine's Day, Johnny. Yeah, well, it's, it's just weird. Sorry, Johnny. It's, it's, just, it's, it's just weird when we have a comfortable win because when do we ever have a comfortable win? Yet that, that game from the start, it was more like we just wanted it more. It was, it was, just, it was just like that we wanted to go at it and Sunderland just weren't ready for it and, and, and they just didn't expect us to do it in that way. Uh, Matt Pierce looked fantastic at right back, Matt, but that's probably why he was pretty poor against Hull because it's a tough job Jack- marking Jack. It is, isn't it? It's not, that's not not an easy role whatsoever. But he went at it, and he just it, it just again one on one battle, one on one v ones. We had it, and in midfield, like you say, Matt, 
the 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 pace in which we kind of broke forward suddenly we're panicking all the time in defense trying to trying to just work at readjust and, and and try and and try and counter what we could what we were trying to throw at them and they just they just couldn't live with it and like you say for the free kick even even when um, Karoma plays it into Radone, they don't move because they just think Sorba Thomas is taking it. No one moves. The goalie sees it late and he's just palmed it into to Matty Pearson's uh, inner thigh by by the look of it. But it was just it's just when when you have a routine like that, we don't get routine wins like that. That's not a Huddersfield Town thing to do, is it? That that's just not happened for years. So when you can see from the first moment, it just felt comfortable. Matt, you're right. First sixty five minutes looked really good, and we we dropped off a little bit. But you expect that. You've got to expect that. You won the look. They're going to throw something at you. But it just felt like we deserved to win the game from the first minute. And it didn't feel like an over-exuberation when we did win in the end. It was more like, nah, do you know what? We're at it. This is level we can play at and we're good enough to win against pretty much anyone if we get it right. I think it's the exact word I'd use there. Is it, it, it was comfortable. I mean, I think inherently as a town fan, certainly where we are on the table, but definitely as a town fan, if you sat at 1-0, you are low-key, just anxious throughout the most of the game I think Dave Carmichael put on Twitter and he that um, <laughs> can't go over too many games like that but ultimately that that worry was never really warranted because nothing really really came from Sunderland um, I was a little bit surprised really because they are, they're, again to look, look at Hull Sunderland equally have got some quality players in, in the ranks players that do you mean on, on paper you might look and think you'd, you'd want to bring into town's team certainly um, but yeah, no, nothing really came. Um, I think, but I think that's down to the good work that that town did. Equally, I think some of Sunderland's players are a little bit uninteresting. They've got their own issues, aren't they, to a certain extent? But it was largely down to everyone stuck stuck to the task. The game plan worked really well. We understood where our strengths were. We understood where, equally where we could hurt um, Sunderland, but we saw where Sunderland can hurt us. And like I said, the likes of Matt Pearson and Kasumi, who's certainly on that side, did a fantastic job against Clark. I think worked really, really well with Pearson being the first part of the attack, getting close to him, not letting him turn. If there was one a few times he did show a little bit too much side on and, and, and Clark got around a bit. Again, we, we were quick on to close that down and nullify any of the attacks as well. Um, one thing that's interesting, I'm just quickly, I've just got the stats in front of me. One of the most disappointing things that I thought of from Southern perspective, I was quite interested to see um, Joe Bellingham play. I've not seen him play um, before. And I thought he was really, really poor, but he's got a 7.5 on flash score, which is interesting. So I must have missed something with that performance. But no, I certainly don't think um, there was too much to worry. And again, using it as a yard, looking at teams that are, are pushing um, and, and pushing certainly way above where we are on the table, it does show that, do you know I mean, playing, playing, if we play to our best, we can compete. And again, that's a team I'd look to play. I'd probably look to kind of maybe move. Um, Rodoni into the middle and bring Birdsog on to one of the wings and maybe swap the striker. But it showed to me if we if we'd not to do that and play like that and, and get that kind of dynamism in midfield with Matos and Kasuma, we can not just look to counter teams but actually control games and, and challenge teams as well. Mm, stats are a bit weird because Jack Clark's I'm look I use whoscored.com and Jack Clark was Sunderland's highest rated player um, on whoscored.com, but Matty Pearson was our highest rated player, so it was it's quite strange. You know, you usually expect one to significantly outweigh the other but it, never mind but Brody Spencer got a good 7.5 and Barr got a, a 6.1 on his opposing uh, man so uh, and yeah and Joe Bellingham got 7.1 I didn't really notice much from him I thought it was okay but nothing amazing but you know there we go um, Killer just Josh Karoma in this game you know leading leading the line by himself it, the, the, we've spoke about him before haven't we there's little things that he does really well do you know how he sort of drops off doesn't he and links play quite well and little things that you don't expect and 
every now and then I, I think back to something I said years ago when, when we first, when he first sort of broke through with Carlos Corbran and I was like, there could be shades of Ollie Watkins in Josh Caroma in, in some of the things that he does and how he could potentially go through the middle rather than wide. I mean, that's never really happened, has it, in terms of, you know, that that sort of all-round player, but because he kind of goes one way, doesn't he, most of the time. But he does put performances in up front where you do think, do you know what, he's, he's actually decent there and he's not just a left winger who cuts in and shoots. He can, you know, run the channels, you know, get down the channels. He's quite quick, isn't he? He's quite uh, deceptively quick, I think, Josh Caroma at times. And the, the, it does, he just drops into those little pockets, doesn't he? And links play quite well. It's just whether he sort of fancies it sometimes. Sometimes his body language can be a little bit mardy, can't he? But, it, you know, under John Worthington, he's, he's been far more good than he has bad. Do you think he compares a little bit to when Danny Ward transitioned from a winger to a striker, Matt? Yeah, possibly. Possibly. Now, that, that, not, not Danny Waters today, because obviously he's a little bit older and his game's changed a little bit. But when he first transitioned, it was a similar thing, I thought. I love Josh Caroma. I think he's, bar, bar and Bergzog, the most effective striker we have. He wins everything in the air. And he's a sm- He's not tall, but he can, he can jump. He can jump and he fights. His press is clever. Um, he, he never lets the defence play out easily. He, he always makes it hard for them. And he's always showing. If a midfielder's got the ball, Caroma drops in as kind of like a false nine and just opens it up for Sorba Thomas or, or Rodone. And to me, even, even as of today, unless Healy, because we've not seen too much of him, if everybody's if everybody's fit, there's games to me where I'd have Caroma starting as that nine still. Sheffield Wednesday, it changed the game when Healy and Radulovic went off injured. Caroma mm-hmm. goes up top, gives Sheffield Wednesday centre-backs a torrid time after they had possibly the easiest game they could have had for the first 45, 30, 45 minutes until the injuries occurred. Um, I, I love him. I think he's a fantastic striker. Um, and down the middle, he just he, when he, when he gets those one on one chances, and yeah, he's missed a couple this season, funnily enough. But generally, you've got a bit of faith he's going to pop it away, and you know when he just cuts in and opens up, you know it's going to go go really close. He is an underrated striker. I'm just I'm just quite surprised whenever he's gone out on loan. Where's he been? He went to Portsmouth, and it didn't quite work out for him. Mm. Um, did he go to did he go to Rotherham as well? Where else is he? Just yeah, Port- I went to Rotherham where the Cowleys were here, didn't he? Um, and then he, and then he kind of broke through and he looked good and then he got that hamstring injury and then he came back and looked quite good and then that season where we were good he was just very inconsistent wasn't he he scored a couple of goals and there was a Stoke incident where he probably should have been sent off and he just kind of found himself a little bit out of the team and he got linked with Bournemouth and Forest randomly didn't he and the, tra- the January transfer window and he ended up uh, latterly going to Portsmouth on loan where he would, didn't really pull up trees did he um but, Which is strange though, but he's just he's he's a streaky player and he's a form winger, a form yeah. striker to me. When he's in and he's on it, for some reason he just scores goals after goal after goal. But then when he's not off it, like when Calder, he was fantastic. He had a spell where he was great under them and, and Corbett. But then he has like months where he's just non-existent. And and I I think look, we're a championship club, and that's what you get with players. If if somebody's fantastic, a hundred percent of the time they're not with you very long. They move on. The guys that you keep for those four or five seasons are the guys that are a bit up and down when it comes to form, but. Karoma, in this press system that Johnny Worthington liked, was definitely the most effective striker we had available to us. And the Sheffield Wednesday game alone, he's won us three points for me because that that changed the dynamics of that entire game. And as of today, if we wouldn't have won that game, we'd have been in a very perilous situation when it came to the relegation zone. So Karoma's been been great. And that conch will get some use, I think, Matt, between now and the end of the season because he's, 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 I think... 
is crucial to, to our chances of staying up, depending on what um, Andre's gonna gonna play going forward. But he's 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 just a clever striker. He's not the fastest, but he's fast enough. He's not the tallest, but he's tall enough. But he challenges for everything, and um, there's a real use for him. Yeah, Josh Karama, this is for you. <laughs> there you go, the Viking Warhorn, um, Johnny. Uh, I mean, three points from six. Do we think that's? I think we 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 probably would have wanted four. I think I think four points would have been you know quite happy with that. Three points from six is kind of okay. I think in, in the situation we're in, but it's getting a bit tight down there. With uh, Sheffield Wednesday won't go away, and QPR as well. Unfortunately, Rotherham have gone away. I think we can. We can almost say I don't really want to come across like the, the them from the second tier podcast, but we can almost sort of relegate Rotherham. They're they're dropping further and further behind, aren't they? But Sheffield Wednesday haven't given up. QPR definitely haven't given up, and Millwall are in a bit of a state. Swansea, I mean, Swansea won at Hull, didn't they? If Swansea hadn't have won at Hull the other week, they'd be right down here with us. And Blackburn are kind of flagging again. They're, they're, they're kind of they won, didn't they, on the first game under Eustace, and then lost, and kind of in and out a little bit. There's there's a lot going on down at the bottom now and I think it's a bit of a credit to us QPR and Sheffield Wednesday that we've drawn the others back in and I think you look from, again, we said, I think we said this last week, but you look from 15th down now and there's two teams from seven or eight, nine there that's, that's going to, that's going to drop and it's a little nervy, isn't it? When you sit, when, and we're still in this run of difficult games. I mean, we've got Watford away is difficult next week, but not um, not impossible. Got the Chesties the week after, which is a very difficult game, and then and then hopefully as March progresses, it starts to wear off. But that's again that comes with its <coughs> own dangers because you're then playing teams who have um, something to play for. We've got Millwall, haven't we, and a couple of the other teams. Maybe Birmingham might still be in and around, but they beat Sunderland, didn't they? They turned it around. So it's it's getting really interesting, isn't it, down there? I mean, but it's. It's good in a way that it's not just the four that everybody looked at. I mean, I went on Talksport two about two or three weeks ago, and the QPR before the QPR game, the QPR fan sort of said, "No, it's definitely going to be three from four. And I was like, "I don't think so," because Reading last year dropped in from nowhere, mainly due to the FFP issues. There's always someone that drops in from nowhere. This drops like a stone at the wrong time, and it's just I look at it now and I couldn't call it because you know it could be that. Us, QPR and Sheffield Wednesday all survive and two others just randomly drop in and I suppose this is why the Championship is the best league to follow, isn't it? It, it is. Um, and I've, I've got a few close friends who are sat at the wrong end of the Premier League who are quite excited to, to come back and rejoin the Championship. So yeah, they'll, they'll echo your thoughts as well. But going back to what you said at the beginning there, is, is, is three points good? Is four points good? Um I'll still class three points as good just because of who we've played. Um, we, we, I, I feel again prior to, to I mean the worthy resurgence under under more and how we've gone before, we could have easily lost both games, which would have been disastrous. But I think it was was very very feasible to have happened. I don't think it'd be too creative to say that that wasn't the case. So to look in that perspective and to win one and to to, to obviously lose the other isn't the worst case but then you've also got to look at factoring where we are in, in real world situation we're at the point where we we do need to be collecting points in home games given the run we've got as you alluded to the ones we need to target 
So I think four would have been fantastic. Four would have been really, really good. Um, I think three probably is, like you say, probably is just okay, probably is just par. Um, but as we stand, we've, we've regressed in, in regards to the table. I mean, we, we've not we've not got further away from, from the drop. So even though the results have been going well, ultimately the main thing that matters is is that red line, isn't it? But the 22, and the fact we're now two points above it, uh, where, do you know I mean, over, over the pre- couple of previous games, we've, we've always been more than that, um, at one point for four or five. Um, it is you are is a little bit of cause concern. Positives being, like you say, the fact we're not 21st anymore, which is, I think we should have actually had a bit of a celebration on because that's been a long time. Um, but it's we're not 21st. 21st we've we've sucked Millwall yeah. in. Yeah, we've sucked Millwall in, who I think have kind of become that team that you're alluding to there because it's obviously they, they sat around when they were, I don't know, but they were certainly around 15, 16. They weren't necessarily looking at relegation and they've continued to go backwards, if not a little bit backwards, a little bit faster. Um, so yeah, it is a case where each week, each game week, it's going to look a little bit where it's going to swing where we're kind of close to the pack above and maybe swing where we're a little bit close to the bottom. But at this point in time, I think it's it's not a bad situation to be that, okay, being two points to the drop isn't great. But the fact is a numbers game now, we've actually got people to target. Whereas last season, the situation we had was the fact that it was, do you know what I mean, um, three from four. And if we weren't to four, there was nobody else going to be drawn into that. And I would always run the situation where you've got teams around you where you can target them, or they're going to you're looking at their game, see what they've done. If we get beat, someone else got beat. If we get a point, someone gets beat. We're closer. So I mean, one point off Stoke, two points off Swansea. Um, so th- there's potential there as well. Um, but like I say, with Watford and Leeds back to back, that's tough. I mean, you, you got, you're really saying there. You, well, Watford, Leeds, and Cardiff, Leeds. I spoke to a Leeds fan on, on Friday. Who would take a point now. I think that's very friendly. I'd probably oh, agree mate, with him. A point would be amazing. Been, I think a point yeah, would be brilliant. They've won six games in a row, and they away from home. They're absolutely on fire. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that should put us down more to his mindset than Leeds' footballing ability. Watford's tough away from home. I know we did well last season, but that's going to be a tough one. Cardiff, I think, becomes an absolute must-win. Um, it really, really does. Um, if I'm thinking we're going to get maybe a point at Watford, lose lose to Leeds, much hurts me to say it. That Cardiff becomes a must-win. Um, pretty well they do between now and then. South Force, if we do beat them, we're going to go within three points of them. So that's potential drag someone else into the mix. But yeah, it it it, it is it is worrying. Um, but I still think I still think a, there's enough in that team, given I mean the quality we've got back on the bench. Going back to um, Killers' point on Berzog, hopefully he's he is fit because he's a massive difference differential maker in, in that team. But you do have you do have games coming up where you'll start to get teams becoming that kind of mid-table on the beach style team. It's not like it was ten years ago, but I mean you can pick up points those kind of teams, and we do have teams like that. We, we do play. We also play a lot of people in and around us as well. So I think our our running isn't isn't too bad, but I do think we've we've still got to be kind of picking up points because unfortunately. QPR are winning, um, and doing Stoke and Swansea and Blackburn are going to pick up points, and not they're not going to go on a run, which I think will mean that we don't need to continue to win games. So it is concerning. It is concerning that that that, that I mean that buffer is is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm, I mean, we've got Watford away, which I think is one way we've got to go and get something if I'm honest we've, we we can't just turn up and play well and not get anything anymore it's not you know that that can't, that's not an option anymore Leeds I mean if we could get a point that'd be amazing wouldn't it against a top three side I mean we drew with Southampton at home 
under Darren Moore. So you kind of fingers crossed, but the form that the top three are coming into now and you're just thinking of their, their steamrolling people, um, good sides. Cardiff are, are falling away slightly. So maybe there's a chance there. Um, but then we've got West Brom at home on the 10th and West Brom, I mean, they're very much like the Hull, you know, in the way that they play. Um, we're probably not, we're probably tailor-made for them more than the other way around, which is difficult. Uh, Rotherham away, which becomes, like I say, that if we're not picking up points, that is a must win. And then we've got Coventry at home and Coventry, I think, will probably take that last playoff spot. So that's difficult. And then and then comes Stoke, Millwall, Preston, Bristol City, Swansea, Birmingham, and Ipswich. Ipswich on the last day of the season. I mean, if both teams have to win for something, that's not going to be fun, is it? But uh Hopefully we can get the results. I mean, Bristol City, Swansea, Birmingham, that's potentially what you what you mean, Johnny, isn't it? With, you know, that's safe, couldn't, can't go anywhere. Uh, Millwall as well on the six will be, could be absolutely massive as well. So, I mean, we looked at it last year, didn't we? And we thought, oh, we're not going to win there, not going to win there. And then Neil Warnock performed absolute miracles in some of the performances that we got. So uh, who knows what's going to happen, but strap yourselves in because that's going to be a good ride. And the man... Behind the steering wheel will be Andre Brightonwriter, a nightmare for people on social media to spell, is this one. I mean, down at the Mac's going to have about... They struggled badly enough with Lee Clark, didn't they, back in the day? So this is going to be an interesting one. Uh, me and the Juice, Brady, are going to put together a, a special on Andre Brightonwriter. We're just... Brightonwriter. We're just waiting for a couple of um, journalists from Germany to come back to us, so we'll put something together. Uh, knock that out, uh, so to speak. Um, so I don't really want to go too deep on him here because we've got something particular coming up. But I think you have to give a lot of credit to uh, Kevin Nagel and, and the town hierarchy because this is a pretty ambitious and exciting appointment, I think. Um, but before in fact, before we go into Andrew, Andre Brighton, right, I think what we should do is we should say that Sunderland was a, a really good night for John Worthing and a really sort of fitting night for someone. And I think the best credit I could give John Worthington is that he's made town fans enjoy watching the team again. Um, and and he's done it by getting the team to play as like he did as a player. You know, the team full of energy when fit, you know, the, the press hard, fearless, and they give it everything. And I think John Worthington is a real feather in the cap of, of Huddersfield Town and having someone like him working hard in the background is great for, for the football club. So a big... A big thanks and well done to Worthy because he's made Huddersfield Town worth watching again, and that in itself is is uh, a really big thing for you know people like us. So well done, Worthy. Um, but back to Brighton writer. Um, I mean, he only really has to carry on the work from Jonathan Worthy, and you know the style. I mean, you read about the style that he used at Zurich, uh, that he used um, Paderborn, and you know Schalke, etc. He's got a really interesting CV. It's a good CV, you know, top flight experience in, in two different countries. I'm looking forward to this. When Darren Moore was appointed, I was like, oh, no. Whereas this, I'm like, yeah, this could be a brilliant move. And, and it could be one of those strap yourselves in for, for, the, for the ride kind of things as well. Because he, he tends to, looking at his record, it's, his, his average is about 15, 16 months somewhere. And he tends to sort of like, take you on a bit of a ride and then it fizzles out a little bit like David Wagner, you know, in some, in some ways, you know, two or three of his clubs. Um, but I think town fans in particular are just tailor made for the German style, you know, the up and at them, the gig and pressing and, you know, transitioning forward quickly, you know, all about fitness rather than individual skill, etc. Um, 
and I mean, Killer, it just, like I say, Worthy's set the building blocks in place, hasn't he, with with how we've been playing the last three or four games. We just have, we've now got a 50-year-old manager in who loves his Stone Island, doesn't he? So he's obviously going to fit in well around these parts. And I'm excited by this. I really, I really am excited by this. Um, I think, you know, I think you've got to give credit, haven't you, to the town board for, for being ambitious and trying something different at... I mean, a stage of the season we're at is a little bit perilous almost, isn't it? But I think you've got to give him credit for going out there and getting someone with his CV and and giving it a go and, and trying to put some excitement back in the club. Well, that's what it is. It's excitement, Matt. I think if we'd have gone around the bush a little bit again and got another championship manager that's done all right here, then a bit rubbish there. And he wouldn't have excited anybody. I think we've kind of had that with Darren Moore and, and we just want... We, we've seen Johnny Worthington play his exciting brand of football, like you say, and all of a sudden we're like, right, that's what we want. We want that. That's what we could go out and get us that. You've got to, um, I've got to give full plaudits to Kevin Nagel. I wonder if it has been made easier by um, Neil Warnock finding employment elsewhere, as well as Darren Moore very quickly. Cause I imagine there's a financial aspect when it comes to um, how much we were able to pay for a, for a coach, potentially if our previous coaches now have moved on, because obviously that changes sometimes how much we have to Kevin, continue yeah, to pay Kevin for, for their ten, contract. Didn't he? Kevin Nagel said he's still got loads of ex-coaches on the on the wage bill, didn't he? Um, so, yeah. uh, I mean, when usually the the deal is that you get paid your contract until you get another job, isn't it? And then you know you get another job. That's that seems to be how it works in the Premier League, anyway. So, I don't see. Why but it's important. It's important to 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 pay thanks, I guess, to Wervin for this as well. I think he's taken six points from his twelve possible points in charge of town, and now I feel like if he didn't. Well, first off, if we'd have saw Darren Moore, I think we'd have got two draws and two defeats instead of two wins and two defeats. We'd have been in the relegation zone. But if Johnny Worthington doesn't come in and gives us these extra wins to keep our heads above that the, the red line, like you said, Johnny, I think this appointment's very different and I think you might have had to go a little bit safer, right? This is a gamble. But for me, Matt, I don't, I don't know what it is for you, but it is the best appointment we've ever made on paper. If you're looking at the achievements of um, Andre Brownwriter, as I'll, as I'll go with the pronunciation, it, it's it's about as good as it can get. He's won things everywhere. He's achieved, and again, I won't go into too much because you and Brady will be doing, but he's achieved at not every club he's been at, but at a lot of different clubs in, in different situations, big clubs, Schalke, um, Paderborn and, and Zurich, he's done well. And now that translates really, really well when you're looking at coaches moving on to new jobs because he's not just done it once in one league like David Wagner, for example. When he came here, he brought in well, debatable who brought them in, but we brought in a German influx of players that they kind of knew of and this and it works straight away. And now David Wagner's gone elsewhere and it's not worked as well, right? If you're looking on paper, this guy's done far more, he's achieved far more than anybody else we've ever had um, in, in recent modern history. And that alone gets me excited. Man, we spoke about it. We wanted a foreign guy to come in and just change it up and, and have a go. We are a club that can't spend massively. This does actually signify to me that we might be willing to spend a little bit more in the summer. Uh, maybe that's something else to get on to later on. In that, I don't think he comes in unless we've got some sort of transfer budget. And, and seeing what Kevin put down in in January, you kind of have that little thought that you know what we might be able to spend a little bit more than we expected. But it's it's just we're a smallish club in this division compared to some of the other clubs, and we have to overachieve for the money that we've got available to us when it comes to the playing squad. To achieve that, we've done it twice with Carlos Colbran and David Wagner that found a different way of playing that other teams in the Championship couldn't handle. We're trying to do the same thing again. And to me, that's the only way I think you can achieve with a club like Huddersfield in this division. I am as in on this as it's possible to be. Um, I just hope, like you say, Matt, he represents the football the fans want to play. Because in the stadium now, we lost against Hull. 
Yet the stadium didn't, I know it was a bit of a downer, but it still didn't feel the same as when we had Darren Murray and the football didn't represent the kind of football we want. I feel like we will be getting that. And 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 I, I can't I can't wait for Watford straight away. I'm I'm so invested again. And fair play to Kevin Eagle to go in to do it because I didn't expect us to get a manager of the paper calibre of the one we've got. Paperback Brian Ryder. I'd absolutely agree. I think um I think for the for the club, oh, we touched on in a previous podcast the fact that really they've they've made a, a succession of errors when it's come to, to managers in, in either when they've hired them, who they've hired, and also when they've let them go. Um, so I think from the club, they could have looked and thought, look, if we get this wrong, it's going to apply a lot of pressure, a lot, a lot of pressure, um, more so than they've kind of already got. I know January's eased that a little bit with the signs that we've made and also the money that we've spent, but so a lot of pressure. So to, to look at a, a Duff or someone like that, that ilk, you kind of, they could kind of say, look, if we hire Duff and we go down, there's an argument or there's a, there's a narrative you can say, look, well, he, he's a regional manager. We kind of looked at him in the summer. Yeah, he's the best we could have really could have got and he probably should have done the job as well so no no blame on us going left field and if it doesn't work not, not talking about Brighton right but just generally going left field you really are putting neck on the line in the recent history we've had to get absolute pelters because it's quite easy for them to go why have you hired someone who's inexperienced in the championship never managed an English football before never done a relegation battle and, 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 and the list goes on so I do completely kind of echo what, what Killam and you and Matt said, that the, the credit does go to the club to recognise the situation, I'm sure they have done, but still thought, no, we're going to be brave. It's it's easier with the calibre manager that we've brought in, like I say, on paper, because it's probably higher than like, equally I was expecting. But I do think what credit should go to the club for, for making that decision and still looking to be progressive. And Killer's absolutely right in what he says, that it's probably it's probably it's cheaper to get a high-quality, decent manager than it is to get six to seven high quality players and it's the way we're going to have to operate and there's good examples um, where where we have done it and we've kind of brought someone in who's kind of like given that extra 10-20% rather than actually just recruiting player staff so we've got we've, we've got examples where it's worked as well but like I said he's exciting on paper he's managed some big clubs clubs that not even kind of football nerds will know um, that you can point to and say, yeah, I recognise that, and that's quite a, a coup for the full time. And the first thing I thought was exactly what Killer said there, so I'm not to repeat him again, but it does make me excited. Do I mean, when we stay up this season, what next season will look like? Because I, I don't think, do I mean, there's nothing that attracts Brighton Rights to the club um, if it's not looking to progress, if it's not looking to kind of, do I mean, put down some key recruitments, if he's not got control of that, if he's not kind of thinking, well, what are we looking to do? What are we looking to achieve? Um, and he's, he's he's too long in, in long in the long in the tooth to kind of get a plan put forward in front of him and think yeah that's great without kind of real substance to it as well and I'm sure we'll have fact checked that so it is a little bit exciting to what the future might hold as well and it might be a little bit of a like say a peak around the corner to that but ultimately for what we need right now um, I think it works well I think how we've been playing the last weeks fit as we're not looking to kind of come in and make a massive wholesale change in like a week on the training ground we play completely different radically different for, for Watford because that wouldn't have worked equally like I said this is not the time to do that so I think in, in, in various ways various lines of does this fit is this good will it work for now and the future I think it takes a lot of boxes um, but like I said I don't want to sound too positive and everything start, start to quickly unravel but I, I just say, yeah, I think, again, echo the praise of the club. Um, and I think I think we put a poll out, didn't we? Are you, are you happy with it? Are you not happy with it? I think it was 80% kind of positive, which, again, 
for a, for a pool of town fans to kind of vote that highly, it shows you obviously doing something right. Yeah, I asked. Um, so we do have town fans in Germany, believe it or not, who do listen to this podcast. And Mark, who uh, has listened to us for years, I, I sent him a message on on Twitter, and I sort of said, "Do you know much about Andre Brighton Vita? Because Brighton Vita, because we're looking for." Um, people to sort of do voice notes for us for the for the one we're doing Brady and, and Max and uh, a nice little message back uh, that just said I know him from his time at Schalke in Hanover uh, my German club as a fan I celebrated the win of the DFB Pokal in 1992 with him as a player for Hanover only team who wasn't in the Bundesliga when they won the cup I really like him as a coach he's calm with a clear plan able to change things during the game he doesn't bend under pressure his interviews are not very interesting uh, he's not a charismatic person, but he clearly knows what he's doing and he's a no-nonsense coach. I hope he adapts fast to English football um, and his English football uh, language skills should be all right. Bit bit Wagner-esque maybe, but that's that's it. So, um, yeah, that was enough to excite me anyway. Um, I mean, when a German talks football, I mean, it, it might not be very exciting in Germany, but, you know, over here we, we find it great, don't we? So uh, we're, it's probably far more exciting, but... You know, on the on the list of probability, we've gone with a, a left field appointment in Wagner that was a success, and left field one in Jan Siever, which failed, and one left field one in Corbrand, which was a success, a left field one in Fotheringham, which failed, and this left field one hopefully follows the same sort of theme and is a success. So um, that's the silly way that I, we're, we're looking at things here. Um, so yeah, so Andrea Bryan, best of luck. Uh, Kevin Nagel did a diary as well and explained one or two things on there. I've not had a chance to 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 watch that yet but I, I will do uh, a bit later but I think they just sort of outlined uh, from the bits I saw of it they just sort of outlined that you know don't believe everything that you read from Alan Nixon I think was one of the takeaways from that one so fair enough um, just before we, we talk about our final subject I just wanted to really say uh, about the the Blue and White Foundation do a half term player signing um, every sort of every year or so um, and I went with my little boy, Charlie, um, on Monday of this week, and he had an absolutely brilliant time. I just wanted to say that it was really, really good. And, and the club do certain things very, very well. Uh, and this was one of them. You know, you go around and you meet all the players. Boothy, who's an absolute gentleman and, and such a great guy, gives you a, a tour of the stadium and takes you around and you go in all the boxes. Dean Hoyle's boxes. Dean Hoyle's still got two boxes. Uh, there we go. So, um but yeah, it was just a really good, really good morning slash uh, early afternoon, and you know, sort of the club, the things that the club do to keep the community well. And, and Charlie's gone from sort of not really being that bothered to just the, for coming away buzzing, thinking that was amazing, and talking about all the different players, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's it's really good to kind of make that bond and connection, you know, for young fans. So you know, brilliant, well done to the club. It was a really good day, and, and thank you very much for the experience that we had um, and the people there that did it were, were really good, really nice as well. Shame we didn't win anything in the raffle because it cost me a fortune in the club shop afterwards, but never mind. Uh, right. The last thing, Fathers is back in the news. Killer, you wanted to to speak to this, uh, speak about this in particular. So, listen, um, Mark Fotheringham has been in the Scottish Sun. It says, "Mark my words, I was a Bundesliga it's success, but Scottish never got summer, my SPFL. Yeah, never got my SPFL chance. Even Jurgen Klinsmann thinks I could do a job here." And then he goes on about his. His stellar C, stellar coaching CV. I mean, his his German CV is not bad. In fairness, he's just 
Fathers has just been uh, relieved of his duties with Jurgen Klinsmann of uh, South Korea, where they didn't do very well in the Asia Cup, did they? Um, but he's pretty much bemoaning not getting a call for the Aberdeen Hibs and Hearts jobs. But the bit which I think grabs everybody's attention is the bit of what he says about Huddersfield. He goes on about his German experience. Okay, you know, he seems to have done quite well over there. And then he's gone, I've worked at championship level with Huddersfield and I was sacked, but I'll stand by my record, especially the win rate compared with those who followed. I mean, Neil Warnock dug him out of the shit, didn't he? Pretty much in the, <laughs> the end of that season. I'm not sure that they're the very comparable. Killer looks like he's... he's I just don't get it. I just, I just can't believe... No, I'm not pulling... I'm not, no, because the, the better I one... Can't, I, it, I can't oh, believe he said that with a straight face. No, and then he says, it's incredible. Away from Scotland, I'm extremely well thought of. In England, who in England... Who is it? Because he's only coached us, right? Who thinks he's really good? I, when he was coach of town, I, I did think our team was quite limited. And I thought his approach was so defensive. Eventually, he kind of, he started trying to play open, didn't he, Matt? And we got bad a couple of times. And he kind of resorted back into playing ultra-defensive. He did what really did, essentially, didn't he? Yeah. He did. And, and that's a common thing with a new manager in the first gig. When it doesn't quite work, you get more and more and more defensive. And unfortunately for him, because he, he came across a bit of a bit of an idiot, and you you could just see the players lose all trust in him. You could see Dwayne Holmes kick a dugout. You could see players just get really angry with with, with the way he was. Was that on the score field that yeah, one? So. Under Fotheringham, you could still see everyone arguing all the time. It, goals went in. It was just yeah. it was just that he it just he just lost them all. And you can't blame him with, with the way he spoke in interviews. It was just horrific. I just can't believe. Um, well, didn't he bring in? His, he brought in Kenny Miller pretty late on, didn't he? Because he came in initially without any staff. Yeah, that right? came like, he didn't bring too many. I think Kenny Miller came after a month or so, a couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, but initially, yeah, uh, came in just by himself, which I thought was quite harsh on him, to be honest. Because a guy need, usually needs to bring his own people in, but the club loved obviously um, Narcis Pelak, Chicho, and um, and Clem etc., and wanted to keep them. So he seemed to get on quite well with them. But yeah, I mean. Look at reading again. He's, he's, um, it's incredible. Away from Scotland, I'm extremely well thought of in England, in Germany. And over the last few weeks, I was with the South Korean national team. Yet in my country, I'm completely overlooked. Um, well, he's failed here and he's failed in South Korea. So I don't know what he's yeah. referring to in regards to being well thought of because it can't be results-based based on what we've seen and what he's had at, at South Korea. What I quite like, though, is he's quite picky about his next, his next thing because he says, I'm keen to work... He says, I'm really looking forward to my next challenge. It has to be the right opportunity, a project that is ambitious. I mean, if you're an ambitious owner looking to move a football team upwards quite quickly, I don't think you give Mark Fothering a job based on what he's done in the last sort of 12 months. So he might have to take what he can get, to be honest, to Fothers. Um, I mean, he was good for a quote, wasn't he? And good for a laugh, Johnny. But I mean, he's... Uh, he's doing a PR spin here, isn't he? Just trying to put his name in, in the ring for a few things. But I mean, the bit on Huddersfield, you kind of like, well. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's probably an agent's probably earn, uh, earn a little bit of money out of that, haven't they? Next time he gets a job, if he does. Um, a few things I took from it, I, was, I didn't realise he worked with Felix McGar. He never mentioned that. So that, that was interesting <laughs> to read from the article. That was news to me. Never had a steak from um, Felix McGar for cheese, has <laughs> he? I guess the only thing you could say um, in regards to his win ratio comment I'm assuming I'm assuming I'm giving the benefit of doubt he's not referring to, to Neil Warwick because and he really is a lunatic but I think Darren Moores was about early teens wasn't it where I think following yeah he's better like, than Darren Moore to be fair we, we, yeah he, he, he was he, he was better in, than Darren in probably rough you tell me but pretty much near his damn at the same amount of games so I guess if, he, if he's if he's I, 
he didn't mind want to name names, but he does name names. He probably say, "Well, ten percent better than Darren Moore." Fair enough, but then is that really that much to hang your hat on? Probably not. So yeah, it's no. it's it's an interesting one to say the least. I mean, I mean, it goes on about spending a load of money, doesn't he? And then not really moving anywhere. I mean, we've only spent money a month ago. Before before a month ago, we'd spent absolutely nothing. Um, but to be fair, you know, we look at this January window. He's probably looking at as this January window, going, "Oh, they've got." Healy, Radulovic and Balka in this and I got Martin Wagon and Florian Camberi so he's probably looking at that going I wish I'd have had that window and it, I do want him to get another job somewhere else just to see if he's any good or you know what I mean because at Huddersfield he had a difficult it was a difficult difficult situation to come into similar with Darren Moore and he didn't do great at all he didn't do as bad as Darren Moore but I just want him to go somewhere else just to see just out of curiosity just to see if he's if he is really bad or whether it was just a bad job, you know, wrong job, wrong time kind of thing. So I, 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 I quite, do want him quite to get another job. It's quite an interesting point then, Matt. And I think, I thought the same about Jan Siever. And then I think also similarly with, with Danny Schofield, I'm just looking at this list of town managers. There's not many that, there's not many that have failed at Huddersfield and have gone on to big relatively successful managers. I mean, not to kind of like put a, a torch to his name but I think the only one you probably talk about this list is probably Steve Bruce but the rest of them if you te- if you generally failed at town you've gone on and failed elsewhere so it would be interesting he, he might be the first name for, for, for a long long time that I mean hasn't worked I'll just feel but then it's, it's gone off and we've, we've been proved wrong because even the Cowleys famously said that their prove is wrong and it's not quite no, they really that they. so mm. That sounds interesting that the Cowleys I thought they would do better I thought they'd get Portsmouth up but they never never did did they um, and they're now at Colchester in the bottom tier but they did turn Bradford down which was a which obviously uh, you know raised their profile in Huddersfield somewhat um, but yeah I mean Jan Siever was going off off piste a little bit here but he he, he got the mines job didn't he and uh, won a couple of games and then got it permanently and then didn't win again and got sacked after what nine games or something but I quite like Jan as a as a bloke, um, so I was quite disappointed to see that didn't work out. I thought it was not not a great manager for us, obviously, but he was quite a likable person. I thought, you know, in in you know, and he really wanted to do well, didn't he, for Huddersfield? And he's, he was very passionate to do well. I, I thought he was all right, but I think that's pretty much it, isn't it, for this week? We've gone over by ten minutes or so, but. Um, boys, thank you very much for uh, joining us this week. Next week we will be back after Town's visit to. Watford hopefully we'll have some points on the board and we'll we'll be able to hear about uh hear f- from the club next week about Andre Brighton writer and hear everything in in great detail I'm really looking forward to his first press conference and first uh, and first thing I mean I, I, I remember looking back at the the David Wagner one and his English really wasn't great was it he was a little bit stuttery at first I mean he came across and said he, he couldn't really speak great English and then spoke better than half of the population of, of this podcast or half, I was going to say half the population of Huddersfield that's harsh but half of us on the podcast and um, he, he was really good and, and and from that moment you were kind of hooked into him weren't you so I don't want to put too much pressure on him for that but I'm really looking forward to seeing what he's, he's going to say next week and uh, I think we'll leave it there so thanks for uh, for listening in thanks to Magic Rock uh, watch out for for the uh, the Andrea Brighton writer special and also the preview show coming during the week. There's a team that is dear to its followers The colours are bright blue and white 
team of renown They're the pride of the town And the game of football is their delight And all the while upon the field of play Thousands loudly cheer them on the way Often you can hear them say Who can beat the town today? And then the bells will ring so merrily And every ghost shall be a memory So town play up And bring that cup Back to Huddersfield So town play up Bring the car Back to The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Lads, what's your favourite 90th minute goal? Got to be Heffley against Leeds. A shot from Moy and sliding in at the death, Michael Heffley. Great finish to the game. Shared with my family, only made better by ordering McDonald's via McDelivery afterwards. Three points, not nugget share box, spot on. Order McDelivery now by the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.